Welcome to God is Open. I'm your host, Dr. PhD Christopher Fisher, and today we're going to be responding to Dr. Theodore Zacharides. And he's a Calvinist, and he debated Leighton Flowers in a very scholarly, gentlemanly way. So this is going to be a very scholarly and gentlemanly uh, podcast. So let's hear his scholarly arguments, and uh, let's just get to it. It's kind of neat up here. Neat. Hi, um, I'm a recovering crackhead. This is my retarded sister that I take care of. I'd like some welfare, please. Let me, uh, yeah, okay. Let me uh, start with a word of prayer, please. Father, I thank you for this opportunity. You are the Lord God Almighty that reigns forever. We know, Lord, that you are gracious, and that you are loving, and that you are just, and that you are merciful, and that you are sovereign. And we do not see that man can thwart that in any way, because you said that you have decreed the end from the beginning, and that your will indeed will be done. May it be done even here this evening. For the glory of the triune God through Christ we pray. Amen. And amen. All right, as you can see, a very scholarly opening to a scholarly debate. He didn't take a conversation with God, which is prayer, when you're speaking to God, and then make it into a sermon deriding and uh, demeaning his opponents. That's not what happened. I know when people are talking to me face-to-face, if they turn it into a conversation about a guy standing next to me, you're not insulting me, the person you're talking to. So likewise, when pastors use their pulpit to turn their prayers into sermons or passive-aggressive attacks on their audience, they're definitely not insulting God with that type of behavior. That's also not lowbrow in the least. Very scholarly and gentlemanly, and it's not at all an attempt to just to bulldoze over real arguments into debate and try to use emotional leveraging on your audience. And I like that extra touch there, that uh, maybe God's will could be done in this debate and he's going to force everything to happen, which means this Dr. Zakadorides is correct and everyone else is incorrect about everything. Thank you for that scholarly and doctorly prayer, Dr. Zaklarsarsius. Let's cue the music for the rest of his debate. The debate tonight, yeah. if you want to call it a debate, it's a, it's a difference of opinion. But it's, what does the Bible say about free will? Well, I'm really glad that, that one of the opponents tonight said that it's presupposed because it cannot be demonstrated. See, it's presupposed in the Bible. No, it's not, it's not presupposed in the Bible. The only thing that's presupposed in the Bible is God. <laughs> absolutely, that's absolutely true. So when you come to the Bible, you throw out everything you know about reading comprehension, how language works, how sentences function together. You throw out all your ideas of, of everything you've learned throughout your entire life of how space and time works and, 
and just everything, mathematics, out the window, out the window. You come to the Bible, you open it, you can't even perceive the stuff coming in because, you know, you're just trusting the senses that you're bringing to the Bible. So the only thing you have to approach the Bible with, of course, is God. That's the scholarly thing to do. And of course, this God thing that you impose on the Bible... Uh, is definitely what he thinks that God is. And you just ignore the Bible because remember, we can't bring our senses, our physical senses or experiences or reading comprehension or anything of value to the Bible. The Bible is just kind of like a thing there and we don't care. It's just, you can't use presuppositions about it. Just like any other literature, you can't go to Pride and Prejudice and assume that these characters are not fatalistic robots. You can't do that. That's not ever said in the story of Pride and Prejudice. They're all robots. Trust me, because you have to presuppose your God into the Bible. Dr. Lee Scholarly, Dr. Zekaduri Isis. Excellent, excellent. Let's keep going. You don't find an argument anywhere for God, okay? But without God, you can't make sense of anything, okay? Let me tell you who this God is. He's the God of Jeremiah. He's the God of Isaiah. <laughs> He's the God of Isaiah and Jeremiah, but not the God that the scholars of Old Testament literature, who they think the God is, and who they think the God of Isaiah and Jeremiah is. No! Good news, everybody. I have a different God, completely different from the text that we encounter in Jeremiah and Isaiah. And I'm going to tell you all about him. Ha! Huh. When you read through these books, if you're honest, do you come away after reading the book of Isaiah thinking, yeah, man can thwart God's plans, you know? He has the ability to keep God from doing something that he wants. Wow! Sorry about that. I didn't realize it was going to get that loud. <laughs> or do you come away thinking, God is almighty. The nations are considered as nothing, even less than nothing. His opponents definitely believe that God is nothing and that any time someone thwarts God or that's just that's a, just a big diss on God. It just thwarts him. It crumples him to bits. A absolutely, that's what his opponents believe. Absolutely, that's what we believe when we hear perhaps the president, someone tweeted against him. We say, oh, president, you're not very powerful at all. There was a tweet against you. Someone went to the internet and they posted... 140 or 280 characters. Your will is thwarted. You're powerless. You're undone by the Twitter mobs. That's exactly what rational people think. Go on, Dr. Dr. Zoid, Dr. Zoitairo. Let me ask you this. Man, who are you? Are you a member of a nation? Oh, yeah. Yes. Does it matter which nation? No, because all the nations are nothing before this God. And you as an individual, do you think that the mighty nations through history that are nothing, indeed less than nothing before God, that you puny man, you can thwart the will of God? Absolutely not. Who would dare to take such a position? Here they are, these two gentlemen have. They believe 
that God's will to save can be thwarted by someone that is less than nothing. Why listen to this? This, according to Calvinistic history. <laughs> Twitter has undone and thwarted the president because someone tweeted something that Trump did not like. He's undone. He's nothing. He's nothing because these people who don't even have a Twitter following could Twitter against him. Uh, don't you know that destroys him? He is nothing. He is powerless. Powerless from the tweets. The tweets destroy him. This is what is true. This is how we think about the world as rational doctors named Zoidberg. It's heresy, my friends. Yeah, heresy. Elevating the will of man over God is heresy. Jeremiah would tell you that. Isaiah would tell you that. Daniel will tell you that. Any number of books. And you know who else will tell you that? Jesus will tell you that. <laughs> How can you argue with Jesus? Jesus will tell you that. He'll say, Calvinism is the true gospel. Calvinism, we're all fated to be robots. I don't know why I'm telling you this because nothing I say matters because everything's predestined and I am Jesus and I just like to do stuff for no practical reason because everything is fated. And so I, I know I say stuff, but it's not going to have any practical effect on anything anywhere because everything's fated from all of eternity. Yes, that, that is very accurate, Miss Dr. Zoidberg. Very accurate. Do you know what he said? He said, without me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Try cleaning your room without Jesus. Jesus said you cannot clean your room without Jesus. That's what he said. That's what it means in context. If you read the context, it's about cleaning your room. So kids, if you want a clean room, you have to call Jesus first. You call Jesus and then you clean your room. This is Calvinism. Calvinism. It's very intellectual and scholarly. We don't just make up things out of nowhere and just impose random absurd ideas onto the text of the Bible. We don't do that. We're Calvinists. Doctors, doctors, PhDs, doctors. We can build skyscrapers. Look at Genesis. Look at this great tower that we elevated. Yeah, that's what that's what you can do, but yeah, God didn't say nothing man proposes can be withheld from them because God would be wrong. God would be claiming that man is omnipotent because of my reading skills. That's what forces that phrase to mean. So anytime the Bible says about God that he can't be thwarted, nothing can be withheld from him, that means God is absolutely sovereign. No one can send a tweet out against God and no one can mock God. You know what that also means? That everything that ever does happen is the will of God. Nothing can be that God doesn't absolutely want. So like, like, let's say there's a famous actor and he molests maybe like a little kid, a little boy, you know? That's the greatest thing that could happen in this world. Calvinism says that is miraculous. That is great. That is the best possible state of this world. No other state of this world could make the world any better than that. That's for God's ultimate glory. Absolutely, that's what that phrase means. So if there's any phrase in the proof text I'm quoting that says nothing can thwart man, well, 
No, that doesn't really. No, and this. Mm, uh, we read statements about man differently than God. We read the God ones with more metaphysics. We just gotta throw a little metaphysics in there, and then throw a little presupposition in there, and we stir it all around. We got this like a salad bowl, and we're stirring it and stirring it. Then you throw a little dash of absurdity, emotions, and probably some fake outrage. Boom, boom. That will get the cultists all riled up. And then you create a little cult following and they got all their mustaches and tattoos and pipes. And they say, we're Calvinists. We believe the salad bowl of absurdity. Brilliant. Brilliant. Tower didn't reach the gods, did it? No, I didn't. Man yeah. can do a lot of things in this universe. We have air conditioning. Thank goodness for that, right? <laughs> yeah. Imagine life without air conditioning. This is definitely relevant to this debate. It's making a very solid point. It's very doctorly and scholarly. That right? Yes, through the wisdom that God gave us. But does that make us any closer to God because we had air conditioning and some person out in the jungle doesn't? Are we close? Yeah, the jungle and the air conditioning. See, Calvinism's true because there's a jungle and then there's air conditioning. So they add them together and then you divide by the denominator and Calvinism. It's that simple, folks. It's that simple. You just got to open your mind. It's right in front of you. That's the Bible, air conditioners. To God because we have seatbelts? Are we closer to God because we have electricity? Are we closer to God because we can do things in this world? No. Yeah, you make choices every day. Those that believe that the imperatives of scripture magically become the indicatives of free will are surely mistaken. Let me tell you from Genesis chapter 20, where a man didn't exercise his free will like he wanted to. Yeah. Yeah, so I'll show you this one example of someone not being able to do what he wants and why God intervenes. Uh, we don't know why that's recorded in the Bible because technically God intervenes in everything, every single molecule. So we don't know what's special about this one incident where he actually comes down and talks to an individual about what that individual wants to do. Uh, we'll assume this is all just uh, faded, just like everything else, just like the air conditioning molecules that I talked about with the jungle, and everything is predetermined from all of eternity for God's greatest glory. And we just don't understand this. We kind of understand this proof text. It's just about God stopping a man from doing what that man wants because God wanted to make that man want to do something else, and then he wanted to stop him. And we don't know why this is going on, but it is God's greatest glory. God's greatest glory. Let's give this guy a pipe here. He's got his pipe. All right. Let's keep rolling. Let me read to you. This is from Genesis chapter 20. Abraham journeyed from there to the south, dwelt between Kadesh and Shur, and sojourned in Gerah. Now Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerah, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Indeed, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Abimelech, he said, Well, wait, I have not come to her. And he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? 
himself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and innocence of my hands, I have done this. Now listen to this very, very carefully, okay? The good debate strategy is to use half your debate going over texts that are irrelevant to the point at hand, and you just read long sections of scripture. Long sections, and that proves Calvinism. Calvinism is true. I just read a long thing, a long story. Absolutely Calvinism's in it. There's no, no possible other way to see that text than Calvinism. I have one Q-E-D-D-D. -D -D. Three Ds. It's extra winning. That's what we did. God said to him in a dream, Yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart. For I also withheld you from sinning again. See that? God stops someone from doing what they want. Q-E-D-D-D-D-D-Done. The debate's over. We could all go home. I'll jump in our cars. That proves it. Every molecule of every event, every bathroom splatter, let's say sloppy diarrhea one day, every molecule of that diarrhea has been predestined by God because didn't you read this Genesis text? It says God stops someone from doing something. Read it. Read it. Calvinism. You just read the text. You read it, and it's Calvinism, and you say, Oh, I missed this. I missed this text, is what you say. You missed it. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Here's man with his free will. This man wanted to sleep with this woman. He is the king of the country. He is the most powerful. He's the powerful guy. And God said, no, no, don't do something. Calvinism. Man plus power plus being stopped means Calvinism. Cal you didn't add them up. You add them up. Calvinism is the answer. Man in the nation. He can do whatever he wants. And yet God tells him. I did not let you touch her. Now, this is one example. There are many like What does the New Testament tell us? Well, of course, there are again passages and passages and passages. So we're done with the Old Testament. We got that done. Definite Calvinism. It definitely means Calvinism. There's no no other reading. No other reading. God controls everything. Every diarrhea splatter. Haven't you read Genesis? How you just read it. The guy was powerful, more powerful than diarrhea. So if God can stop him from doing something, God controls our diarrhea splatter. Don't you know? That's what it means. The main reason that I became a Calvinist, if that's the term. A bad day at Taco Bell. Is because I recognize that in Ephesians chapter 1, and this is one of those few places, gentlemen, where all means all. This is one of those few places where I, I insist that my reading's correct, and I just say it, that no other reading's correct. See? Because I just said my reading's correct and all other readings are incorrect, Calvinism, all you have to do to see Calvinism in the Bible is just understand that my reading's the only one. It's the only possible. There's no another, nothing else. Just mine. I got one reading. See? I win the debate. What's there left to debate? I just won. I just said it. I just said my reading's right. Didn't you hear it? I'll say it again. My reading is correct. The debate's over. God works all things 
after the counsel of his will. Even keeping those kings who want to commit adultery from committing so. And when he... He stopped the guy from committing adultery. I mean, if the police ever did that, that doesn't mean they're sovereign and immutable because they don't control the diarrhea that, uh, that God does. But since God stopped someone commit from committing adultery, that means he controls everything. Everything. Every, just read the Bible. It's just in the Bible. You just open it up. You ignore all the Old Testament scholarship that's out there who say things about Israel's development of religion and how they didn't conceive God as uh, outside of time or of knowing everything in the future and didn't as this singularity outside of space and time floating in eternity. Ignore those guys. They didn't read Genesis 20. They didn't read that. They, they should read that. Then they'll, they'll say, oh, I missed it. I miss, that was it. That was it. That was my text. I missed it. He wants to. He orders those to commit adultery when he wants to. Yeah, he God is the one who commands all adultery. And that's who is responsible for all adultery. Didn't you know that? Did, did, how loud do I have to scream this for you to understand? God is the cause of all adultery and child rape. The Kevin Spaceys of the world when they're molesting little kids. And, you know, these little kids don't want to be molested. But guess who wants them to be molested? God does. Let's see Kevin Spacey fight off God. God's forcing Kevin Spacey to rape those children. Don't you know? Didn't you read Genesis? Didn't you read Ephesians? It's all about how God wants rape. God, this is so obvious. Obvi how loud do I have to scream this for you guys to understand? You don't know this God of Scripture because you choose the texts that you seek to follow. You read other parts of the Bible. You can't do that. You have to look at my proof texts. If you don't look at my proof texts, you can't, I, you're following the wrong parts of the Bible. You, do you know how sad this makes me? It's just the wrong stuff. I know God predestined you to believe that for his greatest glory, but I am angry. I'm angry about it. Can't you hear my emotions in my voice? Doesn't my emotions convict you? Doesn't it signal to my, my followers, my audience? Doesn't it virtue signal how great of a Calvinist I am? How great of a heresy hunter I, Mr. Calvinist, Dr. PhD, doing scholarly work? How doctorly I am. Uh, Dr. Zoidberg. My God is in heaven and he does it as he pleases. When he sent Shimei to throw rocks at David, what did David say? Oh, he's exercising his free will, just leave him. <laughs> I know that's my normal conversation. So as a believer in free will, when I go to work and someone does something, I say, you are just exercising your free will. Let's say I get hurt. Someone punches me. I say, oh, look at them, exercise my free will. I just bring it up in all my conversations because that's what people who believe in free will do. They don't have normal conversations like you would read in the Bible. They just always talk about free will. They're kind of like Calvinists who always talk about predestination. And so they're just obsessed with free will. They're just like, free will, everything, free will, free will, free will. You can't talk to them without them bringing up free will. That's a pretty normal experience for free will believers. 
because that that's what Calvinists do with predestination. So it must be true about free will, people. Yeah, da, a doctor, scholar, scholar and a gentleman. No, he said the Lord told him to throw those rocks when it was a sin to put your hand against when Jesus Christ, our Lord, came to this earth, what is the greatest crime in history? It is the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Men took Jesus, and according to the determinative counsel of his will, they crucified him. And that was definitely set. And if you're one of those people who read Jesus on the issue, and Jesus says that, uh, God's will could be thwarted and God might do Jesus's will instead of God's will or that that God could send legions of angels to forego the event. You're reading the wrong parts of the Bible. You need to be reading my proof texts. Thank you very much. My proof texts. I got my proof texts and they mean what I want. We've already established that. So what are you doing? Why aren't you a Calvinist? I know why you're not a Calvinist, because you're not predestined to be a Calvinist. I don't know why I'm here in this debate. I don't. God's own son was predestined to die. Let me ask you a question. Because of that, you have to agree. You can't disagree that Jesus was predestined to die. If you do, you're just denying scripture. First Peter 2, First Peter 1, right? Yeah, you just read those texts and they mean what I say. There's no no other way. We've established, we established that my reading is the only one. Oh, oh, why? Why do you guys even bother to show up to these debates? My reading's the only correct one. Nothing else is even, it's not rational. It's just silly. You can't read the, yeah. Did you ever read Genesis 20? Ugh. Oh. Genesis 20, people. It tells us that that's true. Now let's go back to the garden for a minute. When God created Adam, he didn't give him free will. He gave him a command. He said, do not touch this tree. Or do yeah, he said, do not do this. And then he fated him to do otherwise because God doesn't give free will. He just makes contradictory claims about what he wants. That's a more rational thing to read into this story. Like, like when I go to any story like Pride and Prejudice, I don't assume these people have free will. No, they might say things like that. They choose stuff. But I know, I know that everything is faded. There's no choice whatsoever. And I think, oh, these guys are predestined to everything that they possibly do because that makes a better story, right? Right? And video games the same. I'm playing a video game. I'm like, wow, this video game is very linear because there's no sandbox games because God predestines everything. God predestines all sorts of little pathways on these sandbox games. That must have taken a lot of time and a lot of effort that don't amount to anything at all because, you know, it's just done and gone away with without any real lasting results. But God spent his time and energy and uh, his total immutability into these ideas. Yes, Calvinism is scholarly and logical and rational, and we got it all figured out. So eat from this tree. Now, my opponents believe that Adam had free will. Let me ask you a question. Did God know that? <laughs> those, those silly people, they believe that Adam, Adam, the, the Adam, do you remember the Adam in the Bible? They think he had free will. That's what they think with their heads. They think it, that he had free will. Oh. This, the scholarly opinion, if you read any biblical scholar, they'll tell you that Adam did not have free will. They say he was a fated 
minion, robot. He wasn't created in the image of God for a relationship with God. He was just, he was just mud. He was just mud. He wasn't special. He's just a robot performing predefined actions. Just like all the other pagan religions where people were just mud and dirt and not valuable and not made in the image of God. Just like that. That's what us Calvinists believe. Man is not in the image of God because then he would be totally immutable outside of time, unchanging and simple. And, and man, he's none of those things. Isn't, so we, there's no possible way that God, God and man could resemble each other. Remember, remember, pure simplicity means no one could have any relation to God whatsoever. Scholarly metaphysics. Intelligence. Adam would fall. If he did, then what knowledge was there? There was knowledge of him falling? Then was Adam truly free to reject what God knew would happen? My opponent is going to raise his hands and say, mystery, mystery, mystery. We can't explain that. We don't know how. We just know that God knows everything, but we're still free. Not as Calvinists. We never, never, never appeal to mystery. Ever. Never. There's not compilations of us appealing to mysteries. They don't exist because we have it all figured out. There's no appeals to mystery. Well, in his definition that he cites three times in his book, you cannot have free will and have God know everything at the same time. Because by definition, a future free action is unknowable. It's unknowable. It doesn't exist until I make my decision. Until I exercise my free will, there is nothing to know. That's why my friend should affirm or should embrace, as they're clearly almost there, open theism. They should embrace a consistent position that acknowledges oh, yeah. just exactly open theism. what they truly, truly believe. That God is not in control. He does not know. He has not ordained. He is not the governor of the universe. His will is thwarted. And man, man is the master. Man is the of master his of his own fate. All the other kids with the It's not true. It's not. We who are less than nothing. We cannot less thwart than the nothing cannot thwart God. We, must, we, we must can't Twitter him. That God we can't Twitter great. against God. That the scriptures Twitter would great undo God. God. Twitter He's the would. Sovereign. God beats Twitter. He rules from on high. Jesus said Twitter even the very hairs of your head are numbered. Him. And not a sparrow falls to the ground apart hairs. from your father's will. There's a sparrow. Is controlled by God. Hairs That's what that means. Sparrows. Sparrow. The very things hair. that are so insignificant. They are the least important things that one can envision. And yet those things, he says, do not occur apart from the Father's will. Indeed, all things occur according to the Father's will. Amen. Amen. Yes. Really? Really? You 
really are a master of deduction. Oh, thank God. Wait a minute. You're just saying that to make me feel better. Yes. Aha! It's kind of neat up here. Alrighty. Uh, we were just having kind of fun there with this guy. This guy's uh, looks like a stage three Calvinist. He is off his rocker. You see him use a lot of emotions. You see him use this belittling of other people, his his emotional uh, appeals, his, his even even his prayer he uses as a bludgeoning tool, being passive aggressive against his opponents in his prayer when he's pretending to talk to God. That itself is a despicable thing. This is a despicable man. He's a ridiculous man. And so it's good to lampoon him. And uh, so I hope you enjoyed this video. It's just, it was interesting to make. I was playing around with certain things and seeing how it works. But anyways, anyways, if you're listening online in the audio, go check out the YouTube video. This is uh, Chris Fisher and this is God is Open. Thank you for listening.